Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are so glad you're joining us again today. Yeah. It is probably still winter or hopefully maybe feeling a little bit more like spring wherever you are. Mm -hmm. Um, We know here in the southern part of the country that sometime this time of year we get these uh, kind of fake springs where it feels great. And I think today as we record this even, it's supposed to be 68 degrees. So. But right I'm, now it's 30. Yeah. I'm not sitting here in shorts and t-shirt, but I may be breaking it out later today. <laughs> but, uh, well, and we've got our daughter Riley home today. Yes. So we are excited for that with this weekend here. She's got her first adult job. And so she needs to get a new car. She is going to get to use some of her money to put a down payment on it. And we are thrilled about that. It's I'm not going to say that we don't love the fact that our kids make their own money now. Yeah. Tell you what, it has been a nice uh, place to get to in life, Mm -hmm. for sure. They bring us gifts home, so we're just like, hey, that's great. We love it. Not that she's going to bring us a car today, (laughs) though we can always dream. We can always dream. So, hey, we have have a really exciting guest today. And Stacey, I think you've been literally kind of bouncing off the walls for a few days. I have. um, To get to interview our friend today and someone who has just made um, an incredible difference in our life and in your life. So, Stacy, I know I want you to introduce her, and then we're going to let her introduce herself. But today our guest is Dr. Crystal Bowlby. Crystal is a lead, is a lead therapist at the Laureate Eating Disorder Hospital and Program in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We told her before we even came on as we've been chatting that uh, she's got a lot of credentials, and we're probably not going to get them all right. So, but uh, that's Crystal, and we're going to share a little bit about uh, just how you can find out more about Laureate and the program there and the resources they offer in the show notes today at the end. So when we get to the end today, if that's something that you are interested in or maybe really feeling drawn to, like you need some more information there, you'll be able to find those things there. But Stacy, I want you to introduce this special person, your friend, mm-hmm. and somebody, like you said, just has made a great difference in your life. Yeah, it's easy for me to get to introduce Crystal, she has had probably the most impact on my life of anybody um, that I've known. And uh, that's really saying a lot because God's put a lot of really special people in my life. But um, Crystal came into our lives at a very pivotal time when I was trying to decide if I wanted to fight for my life or if I wanted to um, just let anorexia take over. But I do want to say that she was my counselor at Laureate, and um, we spent a lot of time together because um, that one-on-one time was really important for me to be able just to talk through things and um, get some um, of those hurts talked out, and and I feel like healed. And so anyway, I just will never forget the fact that God had her ready for me. One of the main things Crystal's known for is her ability to give the best hugs. Um, you feel loved when she hugs you. And uh, that's exactly what patients need to feel when they are at that crossroad in their life, when they get to a, a treatment center. I often call Laureate more of a life-giving center than a treatment facility. It's so much more than that in our lives. And um, the other thing about Crystal that I absolutely love that I think of every single time I see one is she loves butterflies. Her office looks like this beautiful collage of butterflies. And so it's not hard for me when I'm out and about to see a butterfly and think, that that's crystal. And so anyway, without further ado, I want to introduce you to my dear friend, um, Crystal Bowlby. Welcome guys. And um, I'm so excited to be here. I really am thankful for the opportunity. I was thinking, Stace, I've known you for uh, almost seven years now or um, a little over seven years. And Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for that opportunity. You mentioned um, feeling like I'm a gift to you and it goes both ways. And, you know, I really don't care about credentials so much. I went into to study therapy, not so much uh, to be a provider. I was really looking for answers of how to make sense of myself and really uh, feeling like God led my path 
to where I am. And so first and foremost, I am a fellow traveler in life. Um, and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not there at Laureate to lead. Um, I'm really, uh, I think in life, my whole philosophy is, can I partner up with people to walk side by side? And uh, any opportunity that I have to do that uh, is a is such an honor and a gift mm-hmm. to me. And so, um, being a fellow journey journeyer, being curious, um, learning from one another, I learn from you, and you learn from me, um, mm-hmm. and leaving space to explore. So I don't really identify myself through roles, even though I am a therapist. I'm a mom of two uh, wonderful children. Um, I've been married for almost 15 years. Um, I am a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend, lover of life. Yes, you are. You embrace life so, so beautifully that it's contagious. That's very, very special about you. And, And I will tell you this, I can attest to the fact that I never felt like it was a situation where you were over here saying that you're the expert and that I was over here realizing that I had so far to go and that I was alone in that. And that was just huge. Um, That dynamic really took my defenses down eventually when I realized that you were on my team and um, that I could join with you instead of it being you trying to control and beat my eating disorder. Um, that was really um, one of the things that I was most scared about, but still you approached it in a way that I felt like that it was my choice, my decisions, and that you were definitely a guide for me in that, in those spaces. Crystal, we're so excited to have you on. And, and you've been at Laure- you've been a laureate for almost eight years. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. What a gift that was to us, just mm-hmm. how God lined things up because you got there and then got established shortly before Stacy in her treatment. And just, you know, so we can see some of those God ordained things that were, that were at work and um, certainly resulted in a blessing for us. And one of the things too, that, that we want folks to know is that um, Crystal had a professional counseling relationship with Stacy and she just, you know, if you're worried about, well, you know, is my counselor out there telling about me? She can't go out there and just tell about Stacy but we can open up this conversation and, and and visit with her about this because we're the ones initiating that. And so that's how we're able to have this conversation today. And we actually cleared that with Crystal ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Stacy, one of the things I know that um, as we talk, and we've been kind of hinting at this and just opening up this story, is just the depth of impact, right? The depth of impact Crystal made Most in your definitely. life. And so I know you wanted to share a little bit more about that mm-hmm. before we go into some questions we had for Crystal today that that are about maybe your your kind of your journey, but also just for those listening, hopefully something you can connect with as you are walking the road of recovery, as as you love someone that's walking the road of recovery, what we think could be very helpful to you also. So many times people ask me the question, you know, they ask me such in-depth questions about, you know, am I going to have to do this? Am I going to have to do that? And what I choose to say is I just know my journey. I just know my path. And Um, sometimes I feel like them, and this is what was beneficial to me was not knowing all the answers, um, knowing that that's okay. And that this is going to be a challenging time, no matter what, but it's not an impossible time. If you really open up your life to, um, change. And, uh, when I got to Laureate, it was, I think most people, would say when they get to a treatment um, center or a, a place where they can get their life back, that they're scared and they're very sick. I thought I was going to go for six weeks and I ended up being in ICU, that portion of it for six, seven weeks. And while I don't want to hospitalize it by any means, that's the care that I was needing to get just to kind of stabilize the first day that I even got there, I went into a room and there were there was my treatment team and um, Crystal was going to be my therapist and counselor and uh, I got to meet her right off the bat in my situation and I had had a 
hard time even getting out of the car. So by the time that I got into the actual place, um, to the offices and to just to the rooms where I was going to be introduced to very special people, I was crying at that point. So I was just like, I didn't want to leave Doug. I had said bye to my girls. Shelby had just gone to college the day before as a freshman. Riley was starting her sophomore year, um, staying with people. Everything seemed to be spread out, scattered. Um, I was very overwhelmed. It was just a time where I was just having to say yes a lot when I had been saying no all the time. No to food, no to help, no to progress, no to the fact that I was as sick as I was. I often say that I'm an overpacker for those of you who know me in my life. And I brought a bag yes, that was about the definitely. size. Of, I brought a bag about the size of a deflated balloon. I was not planning on staying. I can remember getting there and feeling like maybe they were even going to not think I needed to stay because I did not feel like my size was critical. And so I was just thinking, I'm just going to go back home. I think that's probably a pretty common experience, Stacey, is people, even even if you're very, very sick, part of the part of the illness is you may not realize how sick you are, mm-hmm. or it's lying to you saying you don't need this kind of help. You know, I love what you just said about it, it, the turning point was saying yes mm-hmm. when you've been saying no. I had to be willing as your husband and as a loved one to say yes, too. Right. I think you had the hardest job. No, I definitely didn't have the hardest job. I know that for sure, but it's a change for everybody and everybody's got to embrace it. I just, I've had, I had the eating disorder and have struggled for so long that I couldn't imagine my life without it. It's like I was saying, okay, I'm willing to let go of the best friend that hates me. That was just a really um, sad, almost like I was mourning that before I even got there, because I didn't know what I was going to be facing as life and and things that were life-giving. I was hurting and angry, but she was full of compassion. Um, She never responded to me in the way that I felt like I deserved. Crystal, I just remember that so much. I would be in a group room, and we would be processing our meal that we just ate, how we felt, why we felt that way. And um, I would get up and try to leave. I would sit close to the door. I didn't want to take up space in the room. I didn't want to take up space in a chair. I felt like the space I was taking up was too much because I'm, I just ate a meal. And because of the dysmorphia, I really believed that with all that I was. Crystal would say, how about you stay? in the room. And I was like, well, that's an option. (laughs) I just felt respected and loved on instead of shamed. And um, I had so much shame in my life that that was so fresh. You showed me that God wasn't disappointed in me, which was one of my biggest, biggest fears. I would almost daily slide a note, you guys, under the door where the group room would be separated from where you would go back for your sessions. I would slip a note under the door of the offices that would say something like, you don't have to see me today, Crystal. You don't have to have therapy session with me. I'm not worthy of your time. I'm just not worth it. Spend time with someone else, another patient, and I understand. That's was my absolute view of myself. I wanted to hide. I wanted to um, just kind of stay in that mindset, in that headspace of not being acceptable. And also sometimes I felt just um, unvalued and um, disgusting, especially as I decided to, uh, as I continued to put on more nutrition Crystal, what when Stacy would do that, and I don't know if you know if that's a quick recollection for you or not, but uh, how would you respond, or what would your mindset be when when she might slide those things into the door, or you would sense she was feeling that way about herself? Yeah, unfortunately, that self hatred part is a really common symptom of eating disorders, which is really um, sad, you know, of, of restricting life 
restricting kind of self-worth and value of just being so isolated from others and um, having that belief that that the world would just be better if I hide over here and and escape. I, I told Stacy a few days ago that my mind doesn't recall a whole lot of the experience of when you were in treatment because um, like in that, um, I see the eating disorder part of you as the symptoms or the behaviors as the the least important or the the least standout things where it's like even in the midst of your suffering, there was still Stacy there, you know, your healthy whole self um, was present there. And so uh, I, I don't recall how I would how I handled that session, but I know we never met, missed a session. Somehow we got yep. back there um, mm-hmm. in the session. And, and um, it also comes up for me that part of um, I likely said something to you about it's not your job to set my boundaries. You know, you don't get yeah. to determine how I feel about you based on how you feel about you. Um, and so even if you have carry around uh, the shame and the wish to hide and to be invisible, um, that I don't hold those same judgments and that um, mm-hmm. I welcome you um, to be there however you, however you are, whatever struggle you are having. Crystal, as you listen to Stacy and as our listeners do, you know, life we, we use the words like life change, impact. And I think in in from our perspective at least, those things even fall short of really describing just just what what you have what you've meant to us, but also what I think as a therapist, what you've probably meant to to hundreds of people as you've helped guide them through this road. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit about what what has drawn you to a career and to this focus on uh, working with patients? And like you said, walking alongside people as they uh, walk that recovery journey through eating disorder treatment. Yeah. You know, I never would have envisioned this path for me. Um, I lived half my life in an eating disorder and um, really sought out the path um, of counseling, of psychology, uh, spiritual guidance there, you know, all of that as a way of just desperately seeking a different, a different life and, Mm -hmm. um, really, uh, having my life take off in a way where, um, I feel fully restored, uh, from the eating disorder. And through that, I think just, you know, showing up at random interviews and thinking it was one position and lo and behold, it was an eating disorder, uh, position um, mm-hmm. and just that spiritual path of God uh, opening doors for me. And it's like, am I going to keep running from this and saying no? Or do I get to the place where I'm like, okay, God, I trust you and um, I surrender whatever I view mm-hmm. my life is supposed to be about um, to you. And I'd always actually, uh, growing up, I always had a desire to be, uh, I've loved cultures my whole life, I've loved missions. I really believed I was going to be like a medical missionary path and through my own healing, uh, God transitioned that. And so uh, I know not everybody who listens to your podcast uh, are believers or any of that and have different different perspectives there. Um, But I really came to believe that while through my experience and through my healing, um, God planted hope inside of me to then just hold up a mirror to the world uh, or to those stuck in that same place. And so I see my role uh, here as as that gift and as a ministry, um, a way for me to, you know, be an extension of God's hands and feet. Mm-hmm. And I know that every person's journey is different. Every every person's eating disorder, how they experience the eating disorder is different. Um, I think a lot of the feelings are where uh, it's the same. And so however you get to the place where you start the journey towards healing, you know, uh, we can relate on those feelings. Um, and just knowing that God has placed giftings in me of intuition or um, sensitivity, perceptivity, those things that help, I think, allow me to uh, be with somebody and 
maybe empathy as well of allowing me to to have the the compassion uh, there to to really get into where somebody is at and to feel like we can God might utilize me in a way that uh, helps that person on their path because I never see it as as my job to to heal a person you know and it's right. I would say that God he like the Holy Spirit does have a, a place in that but also he places that tug of war within us the fight it's you know Stacy your fight wasn't you against me or you and the treatment team or you and Doug or you and right. your girls, um, really that tug of war was helping you engage it inside. Like you had to wrestle with yourself, you know, like you right. were on the mat in that wrestling ring, um, just fighting mm-hmm. with yourself and your thoughts and your behaviors and all those emotions that would come up. And I know I offered some tangents in there, but that's really how I, I came to be in the field of really just a, a spiritual path that gave me a prompting inside and then uh, choosing to say yes to mm-hmm. opportunity. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I, and I would, you know, I would imagine, as you said, maybe um, when you were in your own journey through eating disorder, there was probably a point where you never would have imagined you having the role you have now. Right, for sure. But isn't it amazing how as God restores us, as God does his work. I mean, that's just incredible how then you've been used and, and you're being used to impact so many other lives in ways, uh, you know, that we, maybe you didn't expect. And that certainly God doesn't waste. And you've experienced this, Stace. God doesn't waste our hurts and our pains. Mm-hmm. He, um, When they're surrendered to him, he can use them in so many beautiful ways. Well, and I want to point out something that you said, Crystal, is that you um, are fully recovered. And so many times people ask me, um, is that possible? And you showed me that it is, or I wouldn't continue to strive and then sometimes rest in that. Sometimes we're called to fight, and sometimes I feel like we're just called to submit and be still. When you shared bits and pieces of your story with me, I can remember just hearing those words from you and just going, you know, the same God who has pulled her to, you know, helped her to this point is the same God I serve and love and who loves me. I, And so I thought, wow, that is possible. And that felt new, different when I thought I was just going to die. And when I heard those life-giving words, it gave me hope. Um, because I was sitting with you, I could see that you were recovered and are recovered. There was fruit in your life of that daily. Crystal, what would you say is the, the hardest or most challenging part of, of your work that you do? Uh, you know, that changes from time to time. Um, there's, I think, Working for a hospital system, um, sometimes there's challenges there of how like you might have a, a sense of what somebody really needs, but they don't have access to that particular thing because you're under the confounds of what the hospital can provide. It's difficult to work with insurance, you know, even though it's a blessing. Uh, there's that realm of being so thankful people have access to care. And yet uh, there's no rhyme or reason sometimes with why different insurance companies have different policies and so much discrepancy there. You know, um, it's hard to have to fight with insurance companies to to get the care that folks need uh, to be there um, or then even to have to to dictate uh, a timeline for somebody when there's not a straightforward 12-step plan that you do these things and you're on the path. Um, right. Sometimes you need to to hang out and, you know, to, to rest a while in this one phase so that you can gear up um, for the next. And there's not, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in that. And Stacey, you probably can recall that from treatment of uh, just mm-hmm. as, you know, you get to one one big challenge or a milestone in that. And rather than really getting to celebrate that, it's like on to the next thing. And it's like, oh, my gosh, like there are no breaks in this. And just uh, keep on moving mm-hmm. forward. And one hard thing after the next. 
And of course, it's a challenge that some people die of this illness, you know, that you spoke, uh, Stace, about the denial that's there, uh, or you get so accustomed to feeling bad that you don't even recognize how bad you feel. And um, that self-deception, watching people in a place of self-deception and knowing you're powerless in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to to change that. Um, and you can't mm-hmm. do the work for somebody else. You know, um, it's like the heart would want to like step in there, but that that wouldn't help a person move forward mm-hmm. and to, to become stronger. And so sometimes mm-hmm. watching people fall again or to slip and fall so that they might make a different choice or they um, can learn from those mistakes um, to strengthen and to have a stronger recovery. But yeah, watching people suffer in general, I think is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's hard, you know, for, you know, I've had, I've had opportunity to visit even just recently, it seems like with, you know, family members, sometimes it's spouses, many times it may be parents of young adult children, you know, who are, who are struggling with eating disorders. And and I realize that from my perspective is that that is really hard because, Mm -hmm. You know, just like you said, Crystal, there are things that you as the therapist can't do for your patient. And the same is true, I think, for us as as loved ones. We might want to do something or we might just, say, you know, say, hey, this seems like you should be able to do this. And 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 we want to do it for them or just kind of push too hard. But in the, in the end, that's really defeating recovery because that one, we don't understand what the patient and what our loved one is really going through. But two they've got to be able to do those things for themselves. And if we just keep trying to do it for them or cover it for them, it's not really strengthening them at all. It's probably just weakening them even more in many cases. Yeah. One of the main things that I think is a huge ministry is the ministry of being with someone and yeah. just sitting in that oh, space with someone. And I didn't feel like that was ever uncomfortable for you, Crystal. And that was very helpful because, you know, we do want to see people just fixed and do better and everything. But I think I would have tried to get more control if that was fought against or anything like that. Whereas when I could sit in those feelings, I could feel myself kind of um, take a step because it hadn't been fixed by you or someone else, but you heard me. And um, that was huge just to know that you were listening and that you really heard my hurts. You heard my, my fears, my concerns, um, my loneliness for my family, um, the dysfunction that um, I know that I've talked to people since being home that they feel like they're creating. And I know I felt like I was, just to know that there's love within that is just, um, it's life altering. Crystal, you mentioned something just a minute ago that I wanted to follow up on. Um, you used the word milestones. Do you feel like in, in eating disorder treatment and a person's recovery, and I think you've also said this, each journey is different, but do you find there are certain kind of key milestones that are the same for each person that in, at least in their own way, they've got to, work through and move past that? Or is it, is it so unique that each person's road is just kind of different? And then you as the therapist almost have to lay out that path for them. Yeah, I think there are definite foundational things. Uh, Just like if you were to look at a house, you know, if you don't have a solid foundation, you can put up uh, the walls or you could, I mean, you could bring furniture in, but if you have a poor foundation, that house isn't going to stand for long. And, um, you know, getting to an optimal medical, an optical, optimal medical part, not dictated by a certain BMI by any means. Um, but, uh, really trying to identify if this person never went down the path of an eating disorder, where would their body have chosen to be? And, uh, I think, that part, regardless of what someone's mind is saying or the judgments that they have about that vessel or the body, that that's really foundational. Because uh, in, without being at an optimal uh, weight, the mind is going to be more obsessive, more active. You're going to uh, have 
more struggles with utilization and medication, you're going to have a lot more disruption internally. So it kind of keeps someone at high alert. And so that physical piece is really important. And then having a strong, um, trusting, multidisciplinary team, of course, is really important because um, no one has... The team for me includes the family and supports because no one recovers in isolation and um, no one has the power to do it on their own. It's just, you know, it's, it's just not the design. And so bringing in a tribe of folks uh, there uh, that when someone gets tired, they have folks to lift them up to keep keep moving forward, someone to speak truth there, to share concerns people there to vent to uh, when, you know, when it gets hard. So to me, the the tribe would be um, a medical doctor, primary care, a psychiatrist, if meds are needed, a therapist, a dietitian, mm-hmm. a family, some spiritual support. And like, that's, that's definitely critical. It's debatable for meal plan. Um, I personally think that when you've lived your life, whether it's a short amount of time or a long period of time in an eating disorder, the self-trust and body awareness uh, gets really offline. And so a meal plan, even though it feels rigid in the beginning parts, I think it's necessary to relearn and to retrain yourself. What is an adequate nutrition or what does my body need um, based you know, instead of what do I think that it needs? As we talk about those milestones and you talk about kind of key things that that are consistent um, in treatment, how can someone know if inpatient treatment is the right next step for them? And I think in our story, Stacey had been in, in in a level at least of outpatient treatment for years and her team came to her and said, hey, we just don't see any more progress. We just... And you're kind of reaching a crisis point where we think you really need to go for this inpatient focused stay. But from your perspective, is there anything you could say to someone to say, hey, this would be a point where I'd say, okay, this is the right next thing for sure. Yeah. Um, And I I totally appreciate the terror and the dread of coming to treatment, you know, or wanting to put it off. But I think that's a critical part when the team comes in and starts voicing. Now, am I the only one that has the opinion that I don't need a higher level of care? Like, what are these professionals saying? And really, the part of life being so valuable, even though in someone's struggle, they can you lose sight of that and you forget that that your life is valuable. Um, if you're not making progress in the outpatient setting, in a lot of ways, you're spinning wheels and and just getting more and more exhausted. And so, um, you know, sometimes I think it helps to say, you know, you're, you're an adult, you're able to sign yourself in. And so if it's not a good fit and you feel like it's wrong, you have the right to leave, you know, and it's like, just go and test it out, see what it's like. And I know that it's sometimes the fear is if you're there, you're going to be stuck and, you know, um, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, sometimes just opening the door to say, just see if it's as bad as you, you think it is. And also Stacey, you had mentioned when you came in, you just barely had, you know, you had that deflated balloon of, of <laughs> your luggage that's there. And, uh, you assume that people would send you home. Um, and it's like, well, why don't we see what, what, insurance has to say about that or what is getting mm-hmm. authorized or what's needed. And I mean, that's a huge piece. Insurance barely covers the care when it's needed. And so uh, if insurance is supporting your stay and not um, not fighting it, can we look at that as a sign that that maybe things have progressed to a place where where you need a little bit more help? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, inpatient care for, I've always heard the statistic that one week of inpatient care uh, equates to three months of outpatient care. And so it really wow. helps you if, if you're noticing that relationships are strained in your life or that you're isolated, or maybe you're no longer 
uh, at a point where you're being effective in your job or you're having struggle at school, like mm-hmm. you can prolong that outpatient and and maybe slip further to losing your job or maybe having a marital separation or, you know, or it's kind of like right now, I have the ability to act here right now. And so by going into treatment, it's really hard, but it can protect all of those other things in my life where I don't have to completely lose them, but I can put them on hold right now for a little bit. Yeah. I remember feeling like that my, the best things in my life were narrowing down to me not having um, any, or if any quality there, I was felt like there were ultimatums starting to happen. Whereas if I made a right choice that could protect those things and, and they could hold out for me while I was away. And when I returned, I could actually be a member of it. Um, and, um, someone who had a voice in it, uh, I'd never felt like anyone was forcing me to stay. Um, I just knew that the day that you told me that I needed to really think longer term, I was very emotional about it, but I felt safe. Mm-hmm. And in that safety, you can make a better decision. And if and I do remember a lot of times saying, I'm just going to take it one more meal, one more meal, one more snack, one more therapy session, one more process. And I can remember friends who you would get to know and share that space with and everything and, and actually have some helpful dialogue with and then either insurance or their choice to leave would happen. It would become stronger than their desire to stay and how devastating that was. I could see their illness Mm. better possibly not as a professional, obviously, but better as someone who loved them than they could, because when you're sitting in something, you don't see, it feels like you don't have an accurate view of what's going on. And so it break my heart when when a, a fellow patient would leave because you were losing a cheerleader, you were losing a com, someone who was kind of your, uh, Teammate, or teammate, thank you in your life. So I do think, and you were you were about to say the word. I think uh, camaraderie is so important that um, I think I I heard also you saying that Stacy safety, and I and you said to me a number of times since coming out of treatment over the years, and it's not that it's not meant to say, oh, I wish I was there instead of with you, Doug, or with our family, but there is a level of man, I really miss. You know something you were so terrified to go into, as you as you, when you 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 plugged away and you worked it for four months, days, but coming out of it, it's like man, I really miss sometimes being in an environment where everybody gets what I'm going through, and I'm sitting with people and I'm feeling that support and kind of all day long constant, and 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 it was, it was that was a gift of the that as well as the hard parts of it too. Yeah, I feel like sometimes I can be out here in this big, big world and feel so lonely in it um, with when I am struggling to to finish my meal or something. And I have great support out here. But uh, at the same time, you can't emulate what happens. And one of your scariest places can become a, a place that saves your life. Again, it's up to you as the patient. It's up to you as the client. Yeah. And something like came up to me as you were talking too, like, um, like validating that it's going to be hard, but when you're wrestling, there's a part of you that knows, um, being, having the wrestling or being aware of being scared or on the fence to me, that means that there's at least a small part of you. Uh, yeah. is seeking for an answer or knows that there could be a better life out there. And so I think if you have that small inner voice, uh, that's a sign of, wow, like something is prompting. And so finding the support yeah. that will help to bring that out and to allow it kind of like Doug did with the flowers or driving you to treatment because it's like, wow, like, there's no way I would get myself there uh, yeah. from Oklahoma City to Tulsa. 
Crystal, we, we talk a lot about, we've talked a lot about family and the importance of family and the support system around somebody that struggles. What are a couple things, two or three things maybe, that um, you would share, facts or truths, that you'd say this is really important for a family member, a parent, a spouse, even a child maybe, if someone's struggling with an eating disorder that they should know? I would say the, the thing that comes to my mind right away is to not take the eating disorder, the behaviors, that stuff is, uh, personally, uh, because there is no blame. No one, you know, there's not a pow- enough, a person is not powerful enough in the earth to create an eating disorder. You know, there is, there's no perfect spouse. There's no perfect parent. There's no perfect child. And so that part of whatever blame is there, uh, that's a really key part to let go. Because if you're stuck in shame and blame, uh, you're less available to just be there uh, to support. And so it's really not a useful question to ask, why am I here? Why am I struggling with this? It's like I would replace the why with how. Like now that we're here, now what? Um, And how can we be together to find the solution or to engage in the process? I also would think there's no stupid question to know that you're going to make fumbles. You're going to put your foot in your mouth. You're going to say things that aren't received well um, coming from a good place. And that vulnerability of being willing to make mistakes, um, being willing to say the wrong thing. I always am on the side of it's better to try and mess up to show that you cared enough to say something uh, then just sit in silence. And, and so that part, and also um, that the urges are normal, um, that being able to speak openly about a struggle or an urge or having a hard time, that's actually a sign that someone is engaged in recovery and doing the work. And it's a lot of times family will hear that and there's this kind of threatened position of, oh my gosh, like, what do we do? How do we handle that? And, um, you know, the, the secrecy is part of the eating disorder. So if someone gets to the point where they're able to say, Hey, I'm having a really hard time, or, um, I like, I want, I don't want to eat this or, um, like, no, I don't want to go out to eat or like, I want to throw up my food. If they're will, if they get to a point where they're able to say that, yeah, it's a huge sign that they mm-hmm. are, they're transparent and they're bringing you in to their journey. And so being able to have more space in that, to have that be okay, um, to do. Something else I, f- I feel like to kind of tag on that, that I was sent home with that I just thought was an excellent resource, even though it was a love-hate relationship, um, was uh, something that I could post on my refrigerator mm-hmm. or somewhere that was common for my family to see the different triggers. And what I mean by triggers, if you're new to eating disorder kind of jargon, um, is that uh, something that would uh, set off my feelings about food or warning signs mm-hmm. and some a couple of things on that list may be if I was looking at the the um, information and the ingredients or the uh, calorie intake or the fat grams or anything like that uh, that that was a warning sign because that's a behavior that's something that I was doing that I had learned that is not um, needed and it's not uh, something that would ever benefit me because food is food and we need it. Um, and so <laughs> things like that were on my paper. And so my family was aware. And so that way we kept the secrets out in the, it was no longer a secret like you were referring to Crystal, but also it kind of took a little pressure off of me because sometimes I wouldn't even realize that I had gone slipped back into that. That once I was in my um, old, uh, you know, place of living, you know, my old environment, and so uh, that was super helpful for me to be able just to go, okay, I'm not being watched or monitored or anything negative like that. But if something does come across, 
I need to be strong enough for somebody to call me out on it so that we can continue to go forward and not, it's a very slippery slope. So not go backwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. Crystal, one of, um, I know the, the practices that you help clients a lot with and that you, you help guide them through is, is developing, uh, just, just developing and expressing gratitude. Um, mm-hmm. So from your perspective, what, what role does gratitude play in recovery and also someone growing their level of hope. Yeah, you know, um, gratitude definitely isn't a cure-all by any means. And I would never use the tool as as a way to invalidate pain or experience. In my mind, it is the thing that kind of keeps things in perspective of not being all good and all bad. And it's it's like the silver linings that are there that if we can hold on to some appreciation or gratitude, even in painful situations. Uh, It's a way to not get so swallowed up in those things that they take over everything. And so gratitude is, is a skill. We all have access to it. You know, it's readily available. We can use it as a distraction. Sometimes if we just need a pause to our, if our mind is really activated with something, that's something to fill it with. Or uh, it's a way of taking us out of, you know, ourselves are and seeing the larger picture of something. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to practice it as well. You really uh, demonstrated that um, over and over again when we were uh, in different things, treatments and, you know, group times and everything like that, you would demonstrate that so beautifully. Also, when we would uh, have our uh, group time and someone was needing to check out because they were doing, um, they were stable, not only stable, but able to, you know, leave and go home and try all the tools that we were taught. And uh, the gratitude that you would express when we would leave and the comments that you would say and just the validation that was there and the gratitude that was there uh, was just life-giving. I keep saying that word, those words, but I just feel that way. And so yeah, even in terms of recovery, even in terms of recovery, I think it's important because at least in my own healing, it wasn't very helpful to just see my eating disorder as this bully or just keep it at a place of, uh, of an abuser that I was filled up with anger and rage about. And there is a part of, in the grieving process where there's like anger and frustration at the eating disorder. But I think having gratitude for the aspect, your, the eating disorder part uh, was really trying um, in a really misguided way to help someone survive life or to take care of that person to deal with uncomfortable feelings or to make life feel more manageable or to Mm. dial down anxiety enough where uh, they felt more, uh, more that they could cope with, with situations. And so that part, even though it was an ineffective way in, in the long term to have that, but still, uh, still came along to do something. It served a purpose for a person. And mm. so I think you can hold the gratitude for that of like, wow, like my, my mind is so adaptive. It was looking for ways to take care of me. Uh, it was mm. looking for ways to protect me or to help me cope with something. And so the eating disorder doesn't have to be just this enemy that I'm going to it's like take the the good part of that of, of the coping. If this was the job of the eating disorder to to help regulate my life, like I can hold on to that part, and now I have to learn new ways to do that that are that are not harmful anymore. Gotcha. Well, Crystal, we've we've, we've talked several times here about the the permanent impact you've made on our lives, but there is a definite permanent impact you've made on Stacy's wrist. Oh gosh. <laughs> she has um, a a tattoo around her wrist. You might describe this, Stacy, what your tattoo is. Yeah. So. Um so one time I went to Laureate for lunch to meet with Crystal and uh I said, Would you write down what you often told me? And she would say to me, Stacy, you have suffered enough. 
you have suffered enough. That was such a common phrase because it was like the most, it was the newest information that I could really grasp onto. And it really uh, resonate with me instead of just making me feel like at first, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. You've got somebody else that you're talking about or something like that until I got until I practiced, you know, really hearing and taking in and believing the things that were being told to me um, as as my new truth. And once I had you write down, I have suffered enough on a piece of paper. And I ended up going to a, a, a tattoo place here in Oklahoma City and having that put on my wrist in your handwriting, as you know. <laughs> and that when I showed it to you the next time, you said, um, I think I would have written it neater or something like that. <laughs> Permanent. But I didn't know for sure what I was going to do. But also, I must admit, I didn't want you to say, no, don't do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just went ahead and just did it. And so that was the rebellious part of me. But um, I get more comments on that. It's on my right wrist because that's the hand that I see all the time, the wrist that I see all the time because I'm right-handed and that's where I take my bites. And um, I see just the reminder and I am not probably ever going to get another tattoo, I, but I I'm so, so glad I got this one. Well, it's such a true statement because you started us off with that feeling in your eating disorder of really believing you didn't deserve to live or to take up space or to be loved mm. for um, all lies, um, you know, and uh, in that it's not like anyone deserves to have an illness. You know, we yeah. have a cold or sitting here like coughing and sneezing in the background. Mm. It's like, um, you know, like symptoms, symptoms are, are there. We don't earn our symptoms. You know, we don't, when we have a cold, we don't think, oh gosh, I must've done something terrible. I, you know, I earned, like, I really needed this cold to punish me for something. But with the eating yeah. disorder, that's such a, a symptom that's there with trauma, those learned narratives that are there. Um, but you never deserve to suffer to begin with. That's not God's plan for our lives just to cause pain and misery in our life. Like life is a mixed bag of highs, lows, and neutrals. But there's enough of those stressful times on their own without having to create our own, you know? And so yeah. um, you never deserve to suffer to begin with. And so you surely didn't deserve to continue suffering and really hold, uh, holding yourself responsible for crimes that, that you didn't even commit. You know, you were apologizing for being alive and your life was a gift. You were chosen to be alive. You were crafted to be here, your masterpiece. Uh, and so you never, you didn't have to earn your right to live you now. And you still don't deserve to suffer. That's, I think that that's a, that that's a message that we life is going to have suffering, unfortunately, but in that we're in it, we're in it together. And the suffering isn't about what we've done or haven't done. It's just a part of life. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That was so, so helpful. Crystal, we love to ask our guests this question as we wrap up uh, each episode with them, but um what is something today that is giving you hope? Yeah, gosh, um, I'm sitting here in the sun and I'm feeling sunlight on my shoulder, you know, and it's like, it's always the sun and the moon are always huge reminders to me that those are two guarantees in life, that the sun is going to rise and it's going to set every day and that there's a new day. And so just knowing that, that regardless of me, there's always like time keeps passing, you know, and it's never too late. I love the quote, it's never too late and it's never too early. Um, mm. Because we right now is this, what a precious gift right now that we have. And I think as long as we have the now moment, there's always hope because there's yeah. a chance to be here. So I love that. I love that. Often in my emails, I will end them to you by saying, have a great day, Difference Maker. Oh. 
And I know that you as listeners um, and just hearing Crystal's heart on things can see why I would do that. Never underestimate your impact on someone's life. Any of you listening, you matter. You deserve to take up that space and to um, walk into a room and, and be noticed and loved on and cared for. And I, I still um, have to practice that and remember that um, every day uh, and multiple times a day that it's not okay for me to be here, but that I'm supposed to be here and that it's a good thing for me to be here and for you to be here, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your challenge, maybe it's not an eating disorder, maybe it's depression, maybe it's alcoholism, maybe you um, have a problem with pills um, and struggle with that, um, with overdoing on that. And I just want to say to you that God's grace is sufficient for you and that he um, absolutely adores you and, and wants you here until he decides to take you home. And so I want to challenge you to invest in other people like um, so many have invested in me. Crystal's invested in me. Uh, so many of you listening have. And um, you may never know your impact. And God had you there for me. And uh, that God is a God who does good things for us and that you definitely are a good thing for me. And I, I love you and I appreciate you and I value you and um, I'm grateful. Thank you, Crystal. Yeah, yeah, we've loved this time with you today. We are so thankful that you have joined us today for this really special episode. And uh, Stacy, thank you for sharing your heart and just really um, I think being so transparent with all of us, as you always are, but just really, I think there was a, a depth today that you felt, and I appreciate that coming out. And Crystal, we thank you for your time, your expertise, your just not only your knowledge, but I think you you described it as empathy, but just a, a, a love for others that exudes from you that um, blesses everybody under your care and, and all of us now, even years later after we first got to meet you. So thank you for that. We're going to be sharing, like I said earlier, more about Laureate and the program there in the show notes today. So if you have questions, if you need information, um, you can certainly go there and find out more about uh, their eating disorder treatment program and the resources they offer and what the in inpatient treatment programs look like. If you're kind of new to this world but are struggling or thinking your loved one may be struggling, a great place to go visit is the Oklahoma Eating Disorder Association website. There's a lot of resources, a lot of information. They've tried to create some, some pages just to help answer some questions of, okay, what do I do? What do I say? What are some things I should be looking for? So another great place you can go look. So we'll have those things in the show notes for you. Um, we invite you, if you've not yet followed along with the Speak Out Loud podcast, we have our social media pages We'd love for you to follow there. You can subscribe to the podcast on, I think, most or any of all the podcast players you uh, get your content from. And two, we would love for you to like or, or leave a comment or leave a review. That is so helpful for us as our goal is just to spread this message of hope and encouragement to as many folks as we can. And that helps to get that out there. Um, one final thing. I love uh, this message of hope that is evident through Stacy's book. It's called You Are Worth Saving, Letters of Hope from a Desperate Heart. It's available uh, in, I don't know what to say it, a real copy. So like a hard, <laughs> actual pages and actual cover. It's a paperback version. You can order that online, but you can also now order or download it as an Audible book on Audible or iTunes. And uh, it's a great listen as you're driving or driving to and from work. So we'd love for you to pick a copy of that up. And uh, it's it's we're so thankful. There's almost a week yeah. that doesn't go by that we're not hearing encouragement or hearing encouraging words to us about how that has helped so many others mm -hmm. in their own journeys. So get a copy of that. Go to our Speak Out Loud pages on Facebook or Instagram, speakoutloud.me, speakoutloudpodcast, and we have new merchandise. So why 
merchandise. Um, we want people to ask you about it. Um, you know, people love t-shirts. I And so we have the speakoutloud.me t-shirts. And on the front right pocket, it says you are worth saving in my handwriting. We just want you to uh, wear those and share the uh, meaning behind them with people. So anyway, that's that's new. That's exciting. So yeah, go on and check that out. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you very much. Hey, until next week, uh, we'll see you then from the Speak Out Loud podcast. We love you guys. Appreciate you. And we'll be talking to you soon.